Hey, Kelsey. Hey, Brooke. Want to tell everyone what's happening in today's episode? Today, we are back with Professor Scully from Emory University, and we're going to be talking about Sarah Bartman. Oh, okay. Let's get into this. Hello, and welcome to Remedial Her Story, The Other 50%, the podcast that explores what happened to the women in history class. Now, here's your host, Kelsey Brooke Eckert, and her partner in crime, Brooke Neva Sullivan. Brooke, have you ever heard of Sarah Bartman? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> I know you're surprised. Um, no, I mean, <laughs> she's a really interesting example of the way that white and European views of body image impacted colonial peoples in defining what is beautiful and mm. sort of making it difficult for someone who's not... Of what their expectations are. Yeah, to feel beautiful. So Sarah Bartman was brought to European stages from Africa and displayed as sort of a freak in a freak show that would travel around and she's oh, wow. incredibly famous. I don't I don't really know how to gently talk about this, but like she has a really big bottom. And that was like what was the freak show about it. Oh. And, you know, big by European standards. <laughs> and so she was, you know, displayed and and was she a woman of color or a white yeah, woman? She's she's a woman of color and she's like this spectacle on a stage for European audiences. And what time period is this? So she lived between 1789 and 1815. And she was under the sort of stage name Hottentot Venus. Uh, the Venus, you know, figurines For, were, yep. you know, female bodies and shapes and whatever. That makes sense. So around the same time as like the Barnum and ba Bailey freak shows and like those sort of things. Oh, that's a little later, but yeah. And, and so people would come as an attraction to see these things and oddities. I mean, there's they're not going to print them in the newspaper. You have to go to the show. Right. Exactly. Interesting. And so that, so what are we talking about with the professor is about, about her in particular? Yeah. About her and about the larger like meaning and context of these types of shows. So and like impact that they, I'm sure they had. Oh yeah. On perceptions of, you know, and, of and beauty and, and, and idols. Othering, you know, like, oh yeah. Cause you take, you know, kind of an extreme example out of any society and you put it on display and it, you know, distorts the perception that like these people are so different from us. It's like bringing, like talking about aliens in some way, shape and form. It's like other, other, other. It's like all the things. Yeah. How dehumanizing that experience must have been. Oh, so, so do we. Sexualizing like oh, so God, many things. Yeah. yeah. So I'm really excited to get into this. Oh, me too. Let's let her introduce herself. I'm Professor Pamela Scully. Uh, I have a PhD in history from the University of Michigan, and I'm a professor of women, gender, and sexuality studies and African studies at Emory University. I think we might have a problem because um, my grandfather went to Michigan State, and I hear... <laughs> I'm just teasing. That's and amazing. I'm sorry about what's the latest at Michigan State. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be fine, yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm so grateful to have you here. And I, you know, I'm especially excited to expand my own knowledge and secondary teachers' knowledge of African history. Um, and so 
today we're going to talk about Sarah Bartman, and I am cannot wait. Um, why do you think this is such an important topic for teachers to bring into the classroom? Uh, there are so many reasons. Uh, I'll start by just saying who she was. So Sarah Bartman was an African woman born in about the 1770s in the frontier region of South Africa in the Cape Colony, and she died in Paris in 1815 after having been displayed on stages in London, Ireland, and finally Paris as a joke, uh, inverted commas, known as the Hottentot Venus. And the supposed joke was she couldn't be someone they called a Hottentot, which is a pejorative name for indigenous hunter-gatherers in South Africa, now known as, you know, known as the San, the Khoi, etc. She couldn't both be, quote-unquote, Hottentot as well as a Venus a woman who could be desired. And so she was displayed as a joke on stages. And people like Dickens, Darwin, Victor Hugo, Freud, Picasso, H.G. Wills, and James Joyce all knew of her or wrote about her. And her remains, uh, after she died, uh, and were kept in the Musée de l'Homme, the Museum of Man in Paris, for over a century into the 70s. But she was, her remains were finally returned to South Africa when democracy came, the end of apartheid. And uh, she was buried on National Women's Day in August of 2002. Oh, recently. Oh, recently, yes. Yes, yeah. very recently. So I think. Where were her remains prior to that in, in Europe? They were somewhere? in the museum in France. And there actually had to be a whole debate in the French Senate as to whether. Uh, her remains could be returned to South Africa because, anyway, it was complicated. And so I think, as you can even hear from the trajectory of her life, they re- her life really raises complex questions about uh, the relationship between racism uh, and science, colonial and metropolitan histories, the, the, the experience of black women in the early 19th century and beyond. And then Many people who've written about her have not been historians. They've been cultural critics, cultural studies, black studies. Not that those can't also be historians, but generally they have not been historians. And so there's a lot of interest in her life and the way she was became a kind of cultural icon for racism. And also, I think it's she's a really interesting and important person for students to learn about. And I think interesting for teachers to teach about because I think she does, you know, first introduce students to a woman who lived an incredible and tragic transnational life in colonial South Africa, the United Kingdom, and Paris in the late 18th, 19th century. And through that life, we come to understand something about slavery, urbanization, the black experience across the British Empire, and in ways that resonate a lot with American history. She also, Sarah Bartman, became entangled in the lives and the works of leading figures in comparative anatomy like Georges Cuvier, who founded Comparative Anatomy, and literally her body literally became the foundation of scientific racism because he examined her body to see whether it was a connection with between animals and people. So, And then wrote up a number of scientific exper- uh, experiments. So it's not a metaphor. She actually, Her body literally was actually the foundation for, for racial science. It's also a very depressing story, as you can hear, but it is also an uplifting story about one woman who's remembered by her society in South Africa nearly 200 years after her death, and that democracy matters because it was only because of democracy coming to South Africa finally after you know extended colonial era, I guess you could call it, that her body was returned. So there's 
something there also about memory and remembering and honoring people who've died many, many years ago. And also for, you know, history classes, I think her learning more about her is also a chance to think about facts and historical narrative, because one of the things that's interesting about her life and the way it's been narrated by various peoples is that various things have been repeated as truths, which actually when, for example, uh, I wrote a book about her with, with a colleague, Clifton Craze, turned out not to be true when you actually went to the historical record. So it's very interesting to see also how certain truths get kind of reproduced as truths just because it's what we want to believe or we think, or because of an error in the original, some original interpretation. So it's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting topic, I think, for students to learn about and to wrestle with the meanings of history and and facts and how we think about representing the lives of people who lived a long time ago. It sounds like from that list, she fits whatever subject history teachers are teaching about. <laughs> yes, yes it, it really, because also the way she was displayed in London, in Piccadilly Circus, very you know famous place, the place everybody, every tourist goes, was very much also part of a whole tradition of freak shows which conversations in American history to be had even around the circus and Barnum and, and things like that. So her life is interesting because it exposes us to the way that people did a kind of entertainment in the 19th century that we are now horrified by, which wasn't necessarily considered horrified at the time, horrifying. And yet it, even as we're appreciating that, we're also having to appreciate what it was like for her to be a black woman in London, in, when there were very few black people in London, there was a community. But and then again, her life became involved in the anti-slavery movement in London because some anti-slavery activists became interested in her being displayed because they felt that that violated certain rulings that had been made about that you could not have enslaved people in London. And then it's also complicated because at least one of those anti-slavery activists actually had connections to plantation slavery, as in he'd been a manager on a plantation in the British Caribbean and was engaged in some rather nefarious activities on the west coast of Africa. So um it's it's a her whole life exposes, makes makes easy discussions of evil and good challenging, which of course is the point why history is so interesting, because people themselves are complex and don't always fit into easy buckets. But what I would most, you know, want, I guess, students to to think about when they see her life is both that she was a she she was a woman who also had children. We discovered she had at least two children. They died when they were young, but she had children. She had partners. She had a, an emotional life, and also to think about how that person was life was overwhelmed by racism. Yeah, that's powerful. So it sounds like there are many sources and and well-known sources whose writings would be very easily findable. You mentioned Sigmund Freud. Um, There are, it seems like, legal documents. The French Senate has to have conversations about this. So I'm just thinking like, oh my gosh, there's enough here to make, you know, an inquiry or a DBQ or something for students to invest in. Oh, for sure. Well, I I thought about, um, I mean, there's also secondary sources, but let me, you know, in terms of primary sources that 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 um teachers could use and again there's so many ways one could go about this first there are two poems um one by elizabeth alexander called the venus hottentot which uh i'll just read you the first few lines science 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 everything is beautiful 
blown up beneath by glass. And this is um, Cuvier supposedly talking, the, the man who examined her. Colors dazzle insect wings. A drop of water swirls, etc., etc. Uh, cranial measurements crowd my notebook pages, etc., etc. Her genitals will float inside a labeled pickling jar in the Musée de l'Homme on a shelf above Broca's brain, the Venus Hottentot. And so it goes. And then the second part is, is purportedly Sarah Barfin. There's an unexpected sun today in London, and the clouds that most days sift into this cage where I'm working have dispersed. I'm a black cutout against a captive blue sky, pivoting nude so the paying audience can view my naked buttons. So it's a very powerful poem. And then, so there's that poem, and then there's a poem that was written by a woman called Diane Ferris, who wrote this poem around the time that the debates about whether Sarah Rothman's body remain could be returned to South Africa. She is South African, black South African uh, writer, poet, and storyteller of Khoisan ancestry, so of the same um, community in a large sense that Sarah Barton was from. And she wrote a poem called I've Come to Take You Home in 1998. And I'll just read you the first lines. Remember the felt, the lush green grass beneath the big oak trees. The air is cool there and the sun does not burn. I've made your bed at the foot of the hill. Your blankets are covered in butchu and mint. The proteus standing yellow and white and the water in the stream chuckles, sings songs as it hobbles along over the little stones. So just right there, you could you could use the poems as launching pads to discuss Sarah Wolfman's life, how different people have represented it. Anyway, and, and you can see it's it's really, really moving. There are also just, a whole, there is a whole bunch of primary evidence. So, for example, if you just Google, there are images of the quote-unquote Hottentot Venus and Sarah Bartman all over. And you can see cartoons were drawn of her, prints were made of her, there were advertisements of her display in Piccadilly. So, just numerous visual references. There are also tax records in Cape Town, which is what we use to find out where she lived and, and where she lived in Cape Town. So there's sort of, and the interviews with her, there's an interview with her in London, which has to be contextualized because the man who was keeping her somewhat prisoner, Dunlop, was actually in the room. So she wasn't a free, I mean, if she was ever a free agent, she certainly wasn't there. And I don't think she was really ever a free agent, obviously. The newspaper records, the scientific papers by Cuvier. So in terms of primary sources, there are just tons of things and then just in terms of the secondary sources that a teacher could use to kind of you know orientate themselves to it um, I did work on a Wikipedia the Wikipedia page as part of a collaboration with a group out of Switzerland I think it was who were trying to democratize and make sure that indigenous representations were accurate and so the Wikipedia page is pretty accurate I will just say that one of the issues that gets reproduced all the time is that she was born in 1789 which any historian should be a little, you know, that that sounds very close to the French Revolution. And it turns out that she was not born in 1789. She was much more likely born in the late 1770s. But the Wikipedia page, as many other things, just starts with 1789 because that's what's always been said. It's it's not accurate. Um, in terms of the book, we wrote a book, Sarah Bartman and the Hottentot Venus, a ghost story and a biography with Princeton that, that discusses Sarah Bartman's life. Uh, there's a very a nice video called The Life and Times of Sarah Bartman, uh, which reproduces some of the older eras, but is, is a, I think, a very good video to talk with students about and, and is um, empathetic, and I like it a lot. Uh, Stephen Jay Gold wrote about her in The Mismeasure of Man and the Flamingo Smile, which concentrates on science. And uh, there's a very nice book by Janelle Hobson called Venus in the Dark, Blackness and Beauty, 
in popular culture. I like it on, on sort of thinking about how um, Sarah Bartman's body and, and the image of the Hottentot Venus kind of continues into popular culture in, in, in various ways. And then there are other, you know, there are a whole bunch of other articles about Sadia Qureshi, Bazina Bagubane, which I could, you know, certainly help people reference. Yeah. So there's a lot. There's a lot. One of the things that's interesting, though, that I haven't heard you say is things that she wrote or said recorded. So are there no interviews with her? There are. There's one interview. But one of the things we were we were arguing about in our book, uh, Sarah Bob and the Hottentot Venus, and we, the subtitle is Biography and a Ghost Story, was to say that it's easier to write the biography of the the, Im- the image and the sy- symbol of the Hottentot Venus than it is to actually write about Sarah Bartman. She was a poor black woman. She wasn't she wasn't enslaved because there were technicalities about who could be enslaved in South Africa at the time. But she was she lived in a in in, in might as well have been enslaved. She lived in in conditions of of servitude for sure. So she was a black woman uh, in South Africa in in, in a c- colonial era who as far as we know, was not literate. The, the, the people who are generally the topics of biography are, you know, men who left their diaries or women who wrote, you know, their diaries, not not poor black women from a long time ago. And so um, part of what the challenge of writing about her life, which we really want to take her life seriously, was to find the, the evidence of her, even if she hadn't written about it. There is a uh, into this interview done when the anti-slavery society in London wanted to um, find out if she was being in fact kept as a slave in Piccadilly. But it's again complex. A she was interviewed when, as I was saying, Dunlop, who who was the I would say bad guy in the story, uh, one of them who brought her to London was in the room, so she she could not speak freely. Also, it was she spoke in Dutch, and it was translated into English through an interpreter, so it's already one step removed. And then Dutch was not her home language, so it's already, you know, multiple steps removed. And so she said in that interview that she was happy in London and that she had two black boys to ride in a carriage with her on the weekends or once a week, and that she was fine. And that and that Dunlop was paying her. All of which one should be a little skeptical about. Um, this is a controversial point that we made in our book, but we really wanted to think about her as someone who lived and died without bringing to her experience what we now know, which is that her, her, you know, her body did become the foundation of racial science. But, you know, she had been in Cape Town, her partner had had to leave because he was a member of a, of a, the, 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 a Navy. And so he had to leave, her child had died, and she was sort of stuck in Cape Town. So you know, maybe being in London was better than being in Cape Town. And it seems like she was displayed in both places. So it's not to go rah, rah, she had a lovely life. You know, it's none of that. We don't know in that interview what was coerced, what was not coerced, but we should assume that she was not a free agent to say really what she thought. So I think even reading that court case, which is you know available, would be a really interesting thing to do in a class because you would have to <clears throat> engage with the kind of complexity of some of the anti-slavery leaders. You know, you could talk a little bit about the anti-slavery movement in the in Britain, and you could compare it with the states. You could talk about how the law came to kind of be so important, and that it was taken as it was absolutely taken as valid that, that she was talking freely and able to talk, which is paradox given the initial investigation. 
But I think that itself would be a very good primary document to, you know, get students engaged with. Yeah, it sounds like a really good example of, you know, one, it's hard in women's history when you have these these few women who become exemplars for the conditions of women in you know, X circumstance, but it sounds like she is a good exemplar and maybe an exceptional exemplar for the life of a woman and who's quote unquote, not a slave <laughs> living in, in Britain during this time. And, you know, it's just, it's hard because as much as that's interesting to me, I also think about how being on the stage is an empowering thing but yet this is, she's here to be mocked, right? To be laughed at. And like, I would love, you know, to have that source that tells you what that felt like to day in, day out, get up on stage and be laughed at. And, you know, there are exercises that you can do with students in the classroom where you describe the context to someone's experience. And you don't insert what you think that person would have thought or felt and yet and let the students write and reflect on, you know, if we had a source from her that wasn't coerced, that wasn't, you know, whatever, and let them let them write about it and and see. I imagine you could have 20 students in the room and a variety of perspectives, but I also think that there would be some commonalities between those perspectives that and those commonalities might be close to the truth. Yeah, and I think that would be fabulous. I, I should say in our book, we, we had to do some imagining just because precisely, you know, that was not there. So we did, and actually I wrote that that chapter, but just sort of thinking about, okay, so how, how might she, you know, staring out at the audience, see these people gawking at her, and how did it feel to be poked and prodded and people could pay more money and touch her? And history is such a, a, a lesson in empathy it forces us to to try and, and empathize and understand what it's like to be someone from a long time ago in certain situations. And I think I, I think that what you've just said would be a, a really interesting um, thing to do with students. Yeah, and it looks like that's what you all had to do. So where can find where can people find your book? Because I think oh, it's, it's it's you know everywhere. it's everywhere Amazon where you yeah, you'll, you'll you'll find it. We'll make sure it's in the show notes for people so that you can you can get it and read more. One thing, can I just end by saying a few more things yeah, about how sure. one could approach her in terms of classrooms? Please. You know, one could watch, so one could do the film, the, the, look at those two poems, but one could also, you know, watch the film, which is really quite moving, um, and discuss how she was caught up in colonialism and the rise of racial science. And I think that's quite uh, an accessible um, film. I think one could look at if you if if you want to you know as a, as a history teacher want to look more at sources or how historians have narrated the past you could look at the writings about her from the 1940s through the 2000s and see how the way people wrote about it changed. I mean, in the 40s she was very much an object. I mean, people spoke wrote about her as if she was just yet another object. You know, so this, and then I think you know one could also see how errors are compounded over time and looking at how you know the birth is asserted in 1789. The assertions about the fact that one of the men who took her to London was a Dutch white colonial racist, but in fact, records show that he wasn't. He was actually of enslaved descent. He was actually, quote, quote, what's known in South Africa as free black in, in those era. So he wasn't a nasty colonialist. He was, in fact, someone descended from uh, enslaved people. 
but that got compounded in all the narratives. So it's an she is an interesting case. It is an interesting case to also just examine how historians write, what gets reproduced over time, and the importance of going back to the historical record. Okay then, and thank you. This has been a, a real pleasure. I really appreciated it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I like it's I, the fact that there are films that people can show in the class too that help bring this to life. Um, I also think the connections you've made into like you know racial science quote unquote um i think is is really powerful and helps us question all the stereotypes that people have about different groups of people and i i have tried really hard to bring some of these like you know, what i perceive as like graduate level concepts into my into my secondary classroom and it's hard to do but i think mm-hmm. if you if you take it with one individual woman like what a powerful way to make something that is so complex really like objective and simplified and very clear like let's take this and apply it to this one woman's lived experience well pamela thank you so much for today i am so grateful (laughs) thank you thank you thank you thanks so much for listening to remedial her story the other 50 percent please subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to bring more voices to the conversation we really appreciate that effort Until next time.